I received an anonymous letter, portions of which read as follows. A note for Stephen Bauman, senior minister at Christ Church. I'm writing to tell you how your church has made an impact on my life for the last seven years. I work not too far from the church and would visit sometimes on my breaks or lunches. During the last seven years at this job, I've experienced some of the best times of my life, such as meeting my husband-to-be, the birth of nieces and nephews, to some of my worst, my father's heart attack, my grandmother dying, my mother-in-law's breast cancer. When I needed a safe place to think, pray, find hope, get space, I would go to your church and light a candle and look at the beautiful mosaics or write names down on your prayer cards. This might not seem out of the ordinary, but I am not a member of your church, or any church for that matter. I'm not one for organized religion, but I do like churches for their community aspect, their refuge, their being a gathering place for hope. I have found all those things at your church, and now that I am moving on to a new chapter in my life, I wanted to say thank you and would like this anonymous donation to be put towards buying more candles. I am sure over my time here I have lit hundreds. Thank you to your church for being a place of hope and solace. My dear friend also found the road to your church when she moved to New York and she and I would discuss what a special place it is from our two different worlds, perspectives and faiths. I told her I wanted to thank your church for years now, and now that I will not be here much anymore since I am moving on to a new career, it's time I did it. So there it is, a nutshell snapshot of how your church has been an important place to me, and I thank you for that. I hope this donation helps bring light into other lives. Now, of course, This is as much your church as it is my church. Our anonymous friend could just as easily have addressed her letter to each of you who have joined our ranks. That's one good reason to pass on her thank you note. Periodically, I receive this sort of correspondence, and it's useful for you to know that if you're a contributing member here, you minister in ways you hardly suspect. This points to how Christ Church serves as a true sanctuary for our city. That's one of its ministries, one of the reasons it exists, its physical presence, open and hospitable, directing all who enter into a space of both spiritual depth and transcendence. Many of you know this for yourselves. But I note a glaring mistake in our anonymous friend's logic. It comes when she claims she is no fan of organized religion, but loves what our church does for her and evidently embodies. She does not see the disconnect. It's a common occurrence, of course. I regularly hear a phrase like, the problem with organized religion is, you probably hear it as well. Maybe you even said it yourself a time or two. 
My favorite tongue-in-cheek rejoinder to that comment is, well, I suppose you prefer disorganized religion then. And, and we'd have to agree that there's plenty of that floating around in our culture, disorganized, uh, superficial religion, or its more common moniker today, spirituality. But I still understand the feeling in the complaint. I've said it more than once. There's certainly bad religion in the world. And there are a lot of flawed individuals practicing what is essentially good religion. In fact, the only sort of people I know practicing good religion are flawed, which makes organized religion subject to the full range of human potentials, just like organized government or the hospital or a PTA or a hedge fund or a basketball team. The Al-Qaeda terrorists who had had to be organized in order to pull off the World Trade Center bombing, had they been disorganized, they would never have had the necessary discipline precision. But that's not a condemnation of organization. It's more about what their organization was designed to deliver. In other words, it was the content of their devotion that was at fault. A couple of Sundays ago, I mentioned that Everyone has a religion, whether or not they're aware of it. This might be organized or disorganized, but there's no question every person has a fundamental set of core operating principles that function in a kind of quasi-transcendent fashion that motivates their various activities and perceptions of how the world works. Everybody has that. You cannot be alive and make your way through life without having an organizing set of principles. You may be unconscious of them, that's possible, but everyone has them. Everyone has their God or gods to whom they offer daily obeisance. Our anonymous friend has hers. This was implied within her thank you. She was susceptible to receiving what we offer here. I say this because what we offer is embedded within these very walls, and she deeply appreciated what the enclosure of these walls afforded her. And you know, friends, these walls reflect an astonishingly long trajectory of human history. The story of Moses up there holding the Ten Commandments over Violet probably dates from around... Uh, 1400 BCE, in other words, from 3,500 years ago. The rest of our tradition flows forward from there. So-called organized religion has produced the space, then, we now inhabit. And that forward flow from the distant past involved many, 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 many hundreds and thousands of individuals flawed though they be, passing on what they knew to a new generation. We call what has been passed on wisdom or truth, embedded within a spiritual language involving symbols and rituals. The wisdom speaks of mystery, of things that are larger than our comprehension, holy things, sacred things, things that matter most of all 
things like love, for instance, as you heard Jesus recount today. When I stop to deeply consider this, this flow of history arriving at my place here now, I'm really taken with the scope of it, with the, with the sheer numbers of persons who are responsible for my standing here. The church has a word for these people. We call them saints. We call them that not because of their perfection, because surely none of them were perfect but because of their faithfulness despite their imperfections, because of their willingness to give themselves what they had and what they knew to those who would follow. You see this clearly when, when bringing to mind one or two specific persons who are most responsible for your sitting here today, living or dead. Persons whose authentic love for you made you available, susceptible to the overtures of God of love. Persons who gave you a language in which to make sense of the most important things. Persons who instigated faith, hope, and love in your life. The things we treasure most in here. And even if no one person comes to mind immediately, you can still sense your spiritual forebears surrounding you, can you not? giving you this place now as your own. Here, take it. It's yours, they say. Make something of it. Make something of the faith it proclaims. The world is in desperate need of it. Last Monday evening, I participated in an interfaith prayer service at Sutton Place Synagogue, which is about 10 blocks from here. This was a response to the Tree of Life Synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh. The service followed a traditional Jewish pattern, but was attended and partially led by a number of Muslim, Christian, and Jewish clerics. A standing room crowd only assembled every seat filled upstairs and down, the walls completely lined with people. It was a very moving experience. Sitting there, listening to the cantor intone the prayer for the dead, it occurred to me how important these houses of worship are to the communal life of our city. If they did not exist, what could possibly take their place as points of assembly where the things that matter most were celebrated and valued? Where ancient texts were shared that speak of the mystery of life and death and our place within the created order of things. It brought back the memory of the service we held here after the 9-11 catastrophe. The sanctuary crammed with people at noon on the Thursday following that fateful Tuesday. Most of the people I had never seen before, but they wanted to be here, clearly. They were on time. And I was aware that they came because where else would they go to bring their profound anguish, confusion, and yearning? Where else? And who makes a congregation like this possible? the saints. 
In other words, us. And if not us, then no one. Bound together by love of God and neighbor, we continue in the long wisdom tradition brought forward and honored by the saints, by us now, just us. We are it. We are the culminating generation. What we do matters. Our commitments matter. We're the saints.